0: Psalm 103, verse number 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Thank you, Father. We bless your name. From the depths of our being, we bless you. Your word is the truth. We're not ashamed of it. May we embrace it with all of our hearts and faith. You are going to deliver on the promises you've made to us. You are our Father. So we stand as your children, blessing you. May this truth be revealed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. may be seated. John Ashcroft preached from this same text about a little over a year ago at our district council. Former attorney general, good friend of our families for many, many years, decades now. And he told me, he said, after service, we went and had a bite to eat. And he said, You know what bothers me? He said, I can go to a church service today, he said, and ne'er hear a word of scripture read from the pulpit. Pastor will preach an entire message without quoting a verse. The people never read the word of God together in a church service in many churches. And I thought, Wow, that's heartbreaking. Actually, it's a disgrace. I'm grateful Calvary Christian Center stands for the truth of God's word. Amen. This message comes right out of Psalm 103. And David lists the benefits added to the lives of every child of God when you become a follower, a believer of Jesus. David lists five of those benefits. Today we're going to get to look at number three, the third one. I covered divine forgiveness. Forgives all your iniquities, divine health, heals all your diseases. Thank the Lord. And now, number four, who redeems your, verse number four, redeems your life from destruction. Divine redemption. What does it mean when God redeems us? I wonder how many believers understand the term redemption. Now, some of you from my generation, you might remember this ancient practice. Today's version of it is that uh, you get points on your credit cards or you get cash back on your credit cards. But I remember visiting a store where my mother would cash in her S&H green stamps. <laughs> she accumulated those stamps at the grocery store where she shopped, and then we would uh, go cash them in for items that she needed in the home, everyday dinnerware, cups, and glasses. The store was called a redemption center. And if you collected these green stamps and licked them until you passed out, it was one of my assignments growing up, and you can tell I really enjoyed it. You get to fill a book, and then when they had enough of those books of stamps, you would take them to the redemption center. You could trade those books for a toaster that would work for about a month. And therefore, some people think redemption means you trade for something you really don't want, but that's not a real good, accurate description or definition of the term redemption. The definition of redemption is to buy back, to purchase again. Another definition, when your neighbor's cat is left out all night and uses your backyard for its toilet, and it stinks, so you call animal control after a few nights of that, and they come and take the cat. Yay! So when you go to animal control, you have to go redeem your own animal. You might have to pay a fee to get your animal back. After writing the check a few times, you might learn to keep your animal under control. It's calling buy back. So the word redeem does mean to buy back. But let me take a little deeper look at this from the actual Hebrew, where that word comes from that's used in this passage. The Hebrew word for redemption is ga'al, ga'al. The word refers to the redeemer, the one who's doing the redeeming. And the word is translated the near kinsman redeemer. Job placed his confidence in God's redemption, calling him my kinsman redeemer. For I know that my redeemer lives. The old song we used to sing years ago, I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love for me. The kinsman Redeemer is also referred to in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Boaz redeemed Ruth, and he not only bought back the land she had lost, Boaz married her and made her his own. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Redeemers a picture of Jesus. He purchased us back. What we had lost through our sins was now bought back. And then he marries us, and we become his bride. So let me show you in the New Testament the definition of redeemed. Because in English, we only have one word for redeemed. But the Holy Spirit is very specific, and he chooses specific words so we get the impact of what God has done for us. We have one word redeemed with a few derivatives from it. Redeemed, redemption, redeeming. In the New Testament, there are four specific words used for the term or concept, redemption. And this will bless you as you look at these. Argarazzo, number one, Argarazo, the marketplace for slaves. Argarazzo. And here's one place where it's used. We're going to all together in Revelation 5, before the presence of Jesus, we sing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us, to God, by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. So here's what we're saying, Jesus Christ left heaven and entered the marketplace For slaves, that's the concept of that term, because it's such an atrocity to think you can own another human being. Slavery is an atrocity, a sin against another human being. ISIS is now slave trading. Today, there is human trafficking, even across our own country. Right here in our own community, there is human trafficking Sacramento is one of the hubs of human trafficking throughout all of America. It's at the top of the list. Young men and sometimes young men and mostly young women are marketed as sex slaves in human trafficking. ISIS is capturing young women and selling them in order to entice new recruits to their particular persuasion. They will sell a young girl for a pack of cigarettes. We had to go to war years ago in our own nation over this issue. And it's rearing its ugly head throughout the Middle East and Africa. The worst of atrocities committed against another human being is to hold them as a slave. Ariel Castro, filled with evil, kept three girls as slaves for years in his Cleveland home. Kidnapped them, abused them, impregnated them. Well, let me take you to the slave market in biblical days so you know why the Holy Spirit chose these specific words to help us understand what God through Christ did for us. People would buy other human beings and treat them like farm animals. They would open their mouths to check their teeth. They would hit them and abuse them and slap them and so they could check their strength. They would would see how much they could take physically. They would curse other human beings, and mocked them to check their temperament, to see where their breaking points were. They would be whipped to test their endurance. How much pain can they endure? Unbelievable to us in a free society to conceive of people treating other people like this. Why in the word of God would the Holy Spirit use that word to describe redemption? Because Jesus left heaven and entered the marketplace for slaves. Paul goes further in his writing to the church of Philippi to talk about this act of God's redeeming us. In Philippians 2, taking the form of a bondservant, Jesus put himself into the slave market. He took the humble position of a slave. And remember, Jesus was beaten, he was mocked, and he was scourged, ripped apart in the marketplace For slaves, he understands the treatment of a slave. Women and young girls were made to disrobe in the slave markets. Jesus at his crucifixion was made to disrobe as a slave. Why? So that we might be redeemed. It's what Jesus did for us. He appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and died a criminal's death on a cross. God the Son came to earth. And did that to redeem us, to buy us back. Number two, here's another derivative of that word that the Holy Spirit gives us it's ex-argarazo. Ex-argarazo. It's the same word with a prefix, it means out of the marketplace for slaves. So here's another angle to how God wants us to understand what He does as David depicts it by the Holy Spirit who has redeemed our lives from destruction. The letter X means out of. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Jesus not only became a slave, He got us out of the slave market. He redeemed us out of. We had been sold to sin. Paul told the church at Rome, sold under sin, you were slaves of sin. Satan ran the slave markets. He'd put us on an auction block and sell us to a sin or our sins. Everybody here has been sold to sin. Everyone at some point has been in bondage to a sin you could not overcome without Jesus Christ and his power. So, some were in bondage to sexual lust. As a young person, you were exposed to materials you should have never seen. And it generated thoughts that took you into a bondage you could never escape from. Some were sold to anger. Others were sold to bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment. Some were sold to insecurities and inferiorities and fears that the enemy placed in your heart. Some were sold to addictive behaviors. And think with me for a minute where you once were on the slave trade market. All of us at some time and at some point in life were slaves. There were none of us free, a slave to sin. And Jesus came to redeem us out of the slave market. The result, we are never to be placed on the slave auction block again. And a great example of this is in the book of Hosea. Hosea the prophet was told by the Holy Spirit to go buy a prostitute out of the slave markets. Today we're facing sex trafficking at a new level. It's unprecedented. But it's not a new sin. It's a repeat offender. So Hosea marries this woman, Gomer. She was beautiful. He has three children with her. And then she leaves Hosea to return to her adulterous behavior. And the Holy Spirit speaks to Hosea, and this is what he says. Hosea is speaking. Then God ordered me. God ordered him. Start over. Love your wife again, your wife who's in bed with her latest boyfriend, your cheating wife. Love her the way I, God, love the Israelite people, even as they flirt and party with every God that takes their fancy. So God's drawing a comparison for his people to see. This is how you're treating me, how she's treated him. And this is what I feel when you do this to me. And so Hosea says, I did it. I paid good money to get her back. It cost me the price of a slave. And her adultery led her to prostitution. She was used as a slave. A man would buy her, take her, use her, then sell her back onto the slave trade. Another man would then buy her and use her up, time and again, time and again, till she was old, and now she's on the slave block, and no one is bidding for her. And from the back of the crowd comes a voice, and it's Hosea buying her back. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver. And God spoke to Hosea. He said, I want you to tell my people that even though they've gone back to their false gods, and sold themselves to other lovers, and put other gods before me. I still love them. I'm buying them back. That's a definition of redemption. There's another New Testament definition of the word redeemed. Lutrosos, number three, lutrosos, the full payment of a slave. Hebrews 9, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Start to finish. This word redemption here means the full ransom, paid in full, complete. He made full payment for us. So if someone is selling an item and thinks it's more valuable to the buyer Here often is what that person will do. He raises the price. When you're buying a home, you find something that you really like, and you walk into this one after you visited numbers and numbers of homes, and then you go, wow, this is perfect. This is beautiful. Look at this. Don't do that in front of the agent or the seller of the home. Because with every exclamation, the price goes up. So when you're selling something and somebody really wants it, what do people do? They raise the price. Supply and demand. So God gave oversight to earth, to Adam and Eve, and then they lose it to Satan. They turn it all over in their sin. And God desires to buy us back and to redeem us. And and, and do you think Satan knew how much God wanted to buy us back? Absolutely. This is the reason he targeted human beings, because he knew closest to the heart of God, closer than he had ever been, though he got to walk in the very fire of God's presence. Adam got to walk with God arm in arm, the cool of every day. He knew how much Adam meant to God. Sure, he understood the price that was going to cost God. So we're standing on the slave block, and God says to Satan, Satan. I want that boy right there. I want him. I want that girl right there. And Satan responds, you want that boy? You want that girl? Okay. I'll tell you the price of that boy and that girl. I'll give you that boy and that girl if you'll give me your son. And I will mock him. And I will beat him to an inch of his life. And then I'll nail him to a cross until he dies. Do you still want that little boy, that little girl? And God the Father said, Yes. The highest price that's ever been paid for anything or anyone was for you. It was the blood of Jesus. The full price. We are not redeemed with gold or silver. We are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Number 4 another New Testament definition of the word redemption is apolutrosis. Apolutrosis. It's another Greek word with a prefix. When you add the prefix apo it means to return to its original state. It means the full payment for a slave's freedom. But return to original state. Not just buying a person to be a slave to you. It means that you buy a person's freedom to never be a slave again. Now this is what was preached from the pulpits of America, by the way. In our earliest foundations. Because those early pulpiteers and early Americans believed one thing about God. That their rights did not come from the state. Nor did they come from the federal government or from a king. They came from God himself. He has bestowed on us certain inalienable rights. They came from the creator. And Paul wrote it like this. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. So he says in him we have the full payment for our freedom. How? Through the blood of Jesus. Forgiven. By the riches of his grace. Jesus didn't just buy us back to continue to be slaves. He bought us back to return us to our original state. Let me show you what that looks like. In Galatians 4, Paul writes, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You know, I don't think the truly redeemed of the Lord are excited in our church. And I'm glad you're listening to this, but you need to have an awakening to what God did for you and me through his son, Jesus. That's why David wrote, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Jesus entered the marketplace of slaves. He became a slave in exchange for you and me because that's what it was going to cost, and he did it. Why? So we could be redeemed out of the slave market. And Jesus paid the full price that we would walk away free. He didn't just buy us. He returned us to our original state as sons and daughters, heirs and joint heirs with Jesus, son of the most high God. That's who we are kings and priests before the Lord. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. So what Jesus possesses, we have. And that's what redeemed means. We are God's sons and daughters. And that's how it all began. So when you read the Bible from the beginning... In the book of Genesis, and you get through the first six, seven chapters, and you get to the begots. So and so begot so and so. And then so and so begot so and so. And I begot tired reading that, and <laughs> but it's in the begots that you see why these are all included, because they're not there by accident, they're there by design because God is into genealogy, and he's into lineage spiritually, and he's into the flow of righteousness through generations. And Matthew, and he documents this, and New Testament writers Matthew and Luke pick this up, and they document the genealogy of Jesus going all the way back to Adam. Matthew pushes the ball forward to Jesus. Luke, the physician, retraces genealogy of Jesus backwards, and he goes all the way back to Adam, and listen to how the Holy Spirit has him describe Adam. Says, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the Son of Adam, the Son of God. God did not create us to be slaves. He created us to be sons and daughters. In fellowship with the Father, we became slaves by the choice we made to sin against our father. But Jesus came and paid the full price for our redemption to buy us out of slavery to become once again his sons and his daughters. Wow. So as I think about Adam, what if Adam had not been with Eve when she fell to sin? Because we know Adam sinned with her, but... What if Adam had been on the other side of the garden when Lucifer tempted her? And all of a sudden she fails and Adam hasn't. Then this conversation between God and Adam probably would have taken place. And God would have said, Son, I'm sorry to tell you this. Your wife has disobeyed and sinned, and she will die. And Adam probably would have said, I don't want her to die. He was absolutely committed. You can read it in the New Testament as well. God would have answered, there's nothing I can do about this. She has sinned and death will come as a result of her sin. And she will die. Well, that conversation didn't happen. Because Adam was with Eve when she sinned and he sinned also. His desire to be a protector of her. But another conversation did happen. And you can read about the names of God, and you can read about the names of Jesus, and very few people ever, when they're listing all the names that God has given Jesus, were taken to himself. Very few think of the name that Jesus is called by. He's called the last Adam. The last Adam, Paul writes to the church of Corinth, became a life-giving spirit. The first Adam became a living person. The last Adam, Christ, is a life-giving spirit. God the Father said to his son Jesus, I'm sorry to inform you. Your bride has sinned and she's going to die. And Jesus said, I don't want her to die. I love her. The Father said, there's nothing we can do about this, son, except... Hmm. We made a covenant, didn't we? See, sin always brings death. It's fatal. But before the failure ever manifested in the garden... The resolution had already been mapped out between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They had already agreed on this plan. We're going to put in the place called redemption. So the Father said, Son, you're going to need to go and die for her. You have to release her from the penalty of sin. And Jesus the Son said, I will go my request, Holy Spirit, you need to come with me. So I'll need your help. But I'm willing to die for my bride. And the Holy Spirit said, you got it. I'm with you. And that's what the word redeemed means. We used to sing, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. Back in Illinois when I was pastoring, there was a Sunday evening service we had with Mark Buntain. Mark had just come back from India. He was preaching in several churches, one of which was ours. As he got ready to speak because he's sitting next to me, and he's praying in English, and he's praying in tongues, and he preached kind of that way, too. His wife, Hilda continues the ministry doing a phenomenal work. I mean, she hasn't lost a step. That ministry has touched all of India, it's an amazing people of God. And he's getting ready to preach, and one of my ushers hands me a note and says, uh, there's a limo that I just pulled up in the driveway, and there's a bunch of dudes in it. <laughs> really? They said they know Mark Montaigne, this guy that's in the limo, said he knows Mark. In fact, he just was ministering with him in India. So bring him to the platform. So up to the platform hops Jesse Dixon, he sings, How Great Thou Art. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit fills the building. And I got to meet Jesse for the first time. Jesse used to help me preach meetings. I would go speak at places that had no assemblies of God church. And I would rent out a uh, cafeteria or a room in a high school building and announce it for a couple of weeks, and we'd have meetings in that town, and out of which came new church plants. And when Jesse, you know, he'd look on, and he'd say, "You're going to the, speak in that town? Yep, I'll come. I'll sing for you. I'll be the music." And Jesse would show up at his own cost. He'd bring uh, he'd bring his keyboardist didn't take 10 cents for doing it. But he wrote the words to this song that we used to sing on a regular basis here. And it came to mind when I looked at this passage. Donna's playing it. I am redeemed. Bought with a price. Jesus has changed my whole life. And if anybody asks you just who I am, tell them, I am redeem